there, welcome to the Tech Means Business Podcast. This is Series 2, Episode 2 of the podcast where we talk about where business and technology come together. Throughout the course of this podcast series, we've found interesting people involved who are using, deploying, selling, publishing, all sorts of things really, software, hardware, services, devices, anything really with a technological slant that's used in organisations, businesses and companies all over the world. Now, speaking personally, I've spent probably the majority of my life in some form of education or other. Obviously, from the age of 4 to 18 here in the UK, I was involved full-time in education. I then went on and had several, shall we say, attempts at college, um, ending up, I guess, age 31 in um, further education um, at postgraduate level. So I really have been the perennial student, I guess. We're talking today about a different type of education, though, not necessarily further education or K-12 or school education, if you like. Instead, we're talking about the type of education that goes on in organisations and businesses every day. That's where employees, and indeed their employers too, undertake training or courses, maybe classroom-based or maybe online, in order to improve themselves, improve productivity, improve the skills in the particular workplace, and generally try and get that very important step ahead of the competition in business. I'm delighted to be joined today by Mete Suscotleap, who's from a company called LMS365, which specialise in producing learning materials which are kind of placed into workflows so that rather than switch from whatever you're doing throughout the course of your day, it's actually there in the background and can simply be switched to. That kind of encourages continuous learning, which is itself a really good thing. Now, Mete herself is also a lifelong student and has always been into learning. That's her particular passion. It's where her research lies. And so now, finally, I guess, being a lucky one, she gets to do the thing that she really enjoys all day. But as usual, that's enough about me telling you about my guest. Why don't we ask our guest about herself, Mete? Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your career and about the company you work for? Um, let me just start by uh, saying that you told me that you had a very long study life and that you finished at 31, and I hope that you still are 31, right? Because we, we should actually never stop learning. Um, so the thing is... Yeah, despite appearances to the contrary, I am, in fact, um, only um, 32. <laughs> <coughs> Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so um, I'm, I'm a very curious person, and I like to um, uh, improve things and make uh, people's lives easier and surface talent so that we don't end up in this home-blind situation where everything is uh, perfect and we don't have to learn anymore and we don't have to... Um, uh, we, we don't have to develop ourselves, right? Because that's um, kind of a dead end. So um, I've been learning my entire career. And um, since 97, I have uh, worked in the IT industry. And that's a perfect place for learning because there's so much development going on and so many new things are um, rising out of the digitalization and the IT industry. Um and sometimes we tend to forget that actually all industries are are changing uh, because we seem so caught up in where we are in the world uh, we see from where we stand right now. 
Um, so I started out before the IT industry, actually in the transportation and shipping industry, and uh, also learned a lot. But I think my entire career has been driven by learning new things. So after the same job in a year or two years, three years, I tend to shift role, even if I sometimes stay in the same company for, for many years, because I have this urge of continuous learning. So clearly, there's a great deal of interest, almost a passion, really, for uh, for learning. And that's now percolating nicely through, I guess, into your professional life, Matty. Um, tell us a bit about the company that you work for at the moment, uh, LMS365. Um, how does it uh, empower uh, employers uh, to help their employees um, keep that uh, process of continuous learning going? Yes. Um, I was approached by uh, LMS, by eLearning Force, um, a couple of years ago. And uh, to be honest, at the time, I have never heard about that company. And uh, when I read uh, about the product and what they could potentially do and what they were already, already doing um, to some extent, uh, I was just amazed about the, um, the possibility of, of this product because it was actually um, enabling learning in the flow of work, so where people were already uh, working with their uh, office platform from Microsoft, then they could get all this learning at hand. And if I have worked for Microsoft for four years, and I know um, so many of the organization, how they use that platform. And I've, it never actually dawned on me that we, you could also embed learning into that platform. Because for me, learning was always something that you had to go and take somewhere, being either a classroom training or to the um, uh, business schools or the universities or a system that was different from the one that you were working with every day. So maybe you have to go to the SAP system or a dedicated system to take your learning. And that was kind of easily postponed or forgotten or shoved away. So the, the, the thing that you could get learning pushed uh, to you in your workday was... Um, very, very appealing to me. And I thought that this was kind of a no-brainer that everybody in the world that worked with uh, the Office platform should have that ability. And that that's why I um, entered into this uh, um, organization and started working with them. I think that's an important differentiation, isn't it? I mean, we're all subject to deadlines and we've all got the boss hanging over our shoulders, you know, at least metaphorically, I guess. Um, but then... Many people in the workplace, they're expected as well to educate themselves, um, obviously undertake their own particular um, didactic processes. And isn't the temptation, though, I guess, just to kind of not switch off, you know, not turn off from the working day and, and move over to um, some kind of training process? Isn't the temptation just to sort of keep going, hitting those deadlines? Um, and isn't that how um, integrating, for instance, into Office 365 or whatever particular platform that you're working on day in, day out, um, is that um, just so that people, that's the only switch they've got to make? Well, actually, uh, well, that's that's a part of it. But I think that a lot of people and managers and, well, definitely a lot of people are consumed into the idea that 
people have to do something, right? They have to take learning and they uh, require to take this training before they can do this and that. And whenever people are forced to do something, like this is a requirement, this is something you need to do, this is something you need to have done by this and that, uh, you, you get into this, oh, I don't want to do that because it's something that I have to do. Whereas if you are working in, uh, say you are working in the uh, Microsoft Office uh, suite and you are working with a PowerPoint presentation and you are working with a subject that you want to present to the team on, I don't know, something future way of work. And then you are writing down, typing in, and then all of a sudden there pops up. Uh, it seems like you are working with this and that. Would it be beneficial for you to know more about this and that? So that you actually get um, the learning will be pushed to you in in where you are right now and what you need to know right now. So it will be interesting for people to take it. So there's something that they want to do and not something that they have to do. And we're not quite there yet, but this is where we're going uh, in the future where you get this learning push to exactly when you need it and where you need it and not something that you have to go look for. Um, I think it is really important that, that, um, that we learn all the time. I mean, what would you think would happen if nobody in your company ever learned anything, right? You obviously go out of business. And, and professionals, they don't have a lot of spare time. I mean, two-thirds of us are work more than 40 hours a week, and almost a quarter of us work more than 50 hours a week, and they don't spend much time on learning. I think only 7% work more than a few, um, spend more than a few hours a week, and they're quite overwhelmed with emails and messages. So it's actually very hard to make time to go to the learning portal uh, no matter actually how great it is. And and that's why we need this learning in the flow of work, which refers to informal learning that literally happens in the flow of work and can be immediately applied to work-related tasks. Now, this is moving, I think, um, into really quite interesting philosophical areas. Um, and it's about all to do, I guess, with the ways and the methods that we use to educate people. I mean, obviously, we all all went to school and it was a very strict environment um, on the whole, unless you're kind of, you know, a graduate from the Steiner School of Thought. Um, and one thinks of those, you know, serried ranks of, uh, of poor, um, open-eyed juniors um, looking up at the teacher. Um, both desperate to learn and hating every moment of it. I mean, I know I did when I was when I was at school. Yeah. Are we um, uh, scarred by education? If scarred's not too much of a, um, a strong word. I mean, after all, most education systems that are pursued these days were designed, I don't know, nineteenth, eighteenth centuries. Um, and are there are there better ways to educate people? Yeah, yes, definitely. And and I just thought about that. It's. Uh, you, you were in the UK, Joe, right? And uh, I'm in Denmark. And, and the education systems, as a general, obviously, um, has very old ways of doing things. And I'll come back to that uh, in a second. But also country per country basis, like some countries use more multiple choice. Some countries use something that you have to learn and memorize. And other countries use more uh, that you need to think what could be an ideal 
a solution to a problem and it does not necessarily have to be the same um, a solution that the teacher thinks, right? So there are already now differences uh, in the countries, but we are far from there yet. And uh, I mean, how often have you taken an online course and remembered every piece of information you consumed immediately afterwards, right? Probably never. Um, and, and that's down to the uh, Eppinghaus forgetting curve, as, as we know it. And the forgetting curve is a mathematical formula by Hermann Eppinghaus that originated in, uh, I think it was in 1885, uh, around that time. And that curve demonstrated the rate at which information is forgotten over time if we don't really attempt to um, retain it. I mean, an example could be that you are at a networking event and a potential customer gives you their contact number, which you write down on a piece of paper. And if you lost that paper, would you remember that phone number an hour later? Probably not, right? And so the, the school systems are trying to put information into the children's heads that they need to know about uh, history. Obviously, mathematics is a, it's a very... It's a very um, it's a, uh, it's a science, right? So there's things that you got to learn, but you also got to understand why, okay? So uh, coming up with why do you actually need this and, and what can you use it for? The schools are not very good at that because storytelling is, is a really, really efficient way of people uh, getting people to remember stuff because we are much better at remembering stories so if you can if you can put the learning to a story or something that you do so that comes actually back to the learning in the flow of work right because you're working on maybe a project and you can obviously remember that you worked on that project and if you can put learning onto something a story or something that you can more easily remember then there is a much higher chance of people actually remembering uh, the things that they learned and we're not there yet right we're getting there but we're still very not very good at it and i think one of the reasons is that we know that the system that we have now is measurable right you can measure uh students uh generally see they are good or bad at certain things and then we can put them into boxes and then we know as managers and and as companies what we are dealing with right is this education he got this grade and then we know exactly what is this person so it's it makes us comfortable that we can label people with their grade and their their, their education but the world is not working that way i heard when um the uh, California Singularity University were trying to get their education approved by the U.S. approval system, that it was impossible, right? Because in order to get the education approved, you need to submit all your education material. And then it took a year or a year and a half for the American approval. I don't know what is the, They probably have some kind of system for that to read through the entire material. And by the time they did that and approved it, all the education material already changed, right? Because the world was changing so rapidly. So definitely we need to look at that as well, yeah. 
Yeah, it's well known, isn't it, that people who are involved in education during their working lives are happier, and because they're happier, they perform better, and they're a great deal more loyal, and they work longer hours, and, you know, it's, it, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Um, but at, um, at the very base level, there is a fear, I think, on the part of employers that, you know, why should I, as an employer, educate my employees so well? Is there not still that fear that, people are just going to up and leave and get better salary and better working conditions? Uh, that they are afraid. Yeah, there's this whole saying that uh, imagine that you spend a lot of money educating your employees and they left you, right? And so the contradiction to that is imagine that if you didn't spend any money on educating your employees and they actually stayed, that would be kind of even worse. Um, but I, according to a research done by LinkedIn, Employees who spend time at work learning are actually 47% less likely to be stressed and 39% more likely to feel productive and successful and 33% more ready to take on additional responsibility and 21% more likely to feel confident and happy. And, and it seems that the more you learn, the happier you become. And if you are happy and content and not stressed at a place, why would you leave that place, right? And and they have actually nailed it down to some percentages saying that it, in your current company, what is the number one most important thing that would make you look for a new job? And the popularity answer to that would be your manager, right? You read a lot of articles that people don't leave jobs or companies, they, they leave managers. But uh, it's actually a poor relationship with my manager. It's only 9% that answers that, that that would be the number one most important thing that would make you look for a new job. The inability to learn and grow is 20%. And I think learning is also about growing. It's not just, okay, so now I know a lot of stuff. You feel that you grow because you are more knowledgeable, right? So you 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 develop yourself as a person and that makes you obviously happier. We are, as humans, born curious, and with a lifelong urge to learn something new all the time. I mean, obviously, generally speaking, right? So they actually do not leave. Um, obviously, if they have really poor conditions and get very low wages, but it's, it's not the most important thing. It's actually the most important reason for leaving a job is the inability to learn and grow. Now, obviously, during the course of this podcast, we um, we talk a lot with IT types. And of course, in information technology circles, uh, in particular amongst developers and kind of system administrators, if you like, that, you know, that kind of more technical end of uh, that particular vertical, learning is always considered to be a really good thing. I mean, people are learning languages, uh, programming languages, and they're learning new frameworks, and they're learning about network infrastructures, and so on and so forth. And that's always been very much prevalent in IT. And I guess there are some other areas, aren't there, of a business, uh, where that's also um, a case. There's a, you know, a particular... Uh, scale up which, for instance, uh, your accountancy staff can move, you know, up from uh, bookkeeper up to, well, in the UK to be, um, you know, chartered chartered accountants. Um, are there other departments or um, any other particular dead zones, if you like, um, who are particularly dedicated to training in your experience? Or are there any other, you know, are there any areas where training is really um, a bit of a, a four-letter word? Uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, first of all, you need to you, we need to talk about what kind of learning are we actually uh, discussing? Because if you look at the IT professionals, they're obviously very keen on being able to edu have education and primarily on what I would call hard skills, right? So learning a new system or a new language or a new technology and, and a lot of developers and uh, people in that, that actually work in the IT industry developing uh, systems, they are uh, dependent upon that education, right? Because there is so much going on all the time. So you don't want to end up in a company as a, I don't know, cloud architect or something, and then not be able to go to the conferences and the training that would uh, maintain your uh, market value and also make your job continuously interesting uh, working into. But then there is a whole other group of people and that's probably not so much industry specific uh, now getting more and more interested into the soft skills uh, and this coronavirus um, mm -hmm pandemic situation has um, pushed also a lot to that. So how do we actually make sure that our people are happy and productive uh, in this uh, new uh, way of work? And how do we organize ourselves? And how do we uh, have the communication flow and all those uh, soft skills that are uh, rapidly uh, ramping up for interesting that people want to learn more about that? Um, and I think that there is a lot of trends currently going on that, that we didn't learn about in school and that we then now need to uh, familiarize ourselves much more with. So you have the hard skills and the soft skills. The hard skills is, yes, definitely it's, it's IT and it's... Um, Obviously, lawyers, they, they need to constantly know um, where the law goes, which is uh, um, changing, obviously. as a, <laughs> So anywhere where you have a moving target, you, you have to continuously upskill your hard skills. Um, but there is a lot of industries that has not had a moving target for many years. And um, now... Very much so, right? So the whole manufacturing industry, for once, they have been doing more or less the same for uh, many, many years. And now you get AI, machine learning, IoT, all that stuff. Uh, and so all these people need reskilling, right? Uh, so where, where would, where, and we still need them, obviously, right? We just need to figure out what is that, that especially for humans that machines cannot do and how can we evolve around that? So definitely the need for learning is everywhere. Now, something I didn't know before I started research for this particular episode of the podcast is that learning is in fact a muscle unlike any other muscle in the body. It needs training and you know, research has shown, hasn't it, that the more you learn and the more often you learn, the better you actually get at learning and better at the process. Is that right? Yeah, it is. It's just like any exercise, you know, your daily run or anything else. You need to exercise any muscles or anything that, that you want to use to the uh, optimal. You need to obviously exercise. 
But that also means that if you haven't went to school, if you haven't gone to school for 20 years or 25 years and you didn't take any training, that starting to do that is, is difficult, right? It really needs, it's just like if you have never exercised and then you all of a sudden wants to run a marathon, it's, it's not easy, right? But it's not impossible. Now, I'd like to shift, if I may, Mete, to uh, talking about the role of education in business in general. Now, obviously, you know, this is an area, a field in which you've had significant experience over the course of your career. Um, Do you find that attitudes change in terms of geography, you know, where you are in the world? Um, Are there different verticals who are more open and interested in continuous learning and on-the-job learning? Um, I wonder if you could talk about those variations in uptake and attitudes that you've found. Well, um, the the corporate learning industry has typically walked in the shadows of other glamorous aspects of doing business, and, and largely because proving the impact of specific learning programs is very difficult, although the benefits of training in general for individuals and society are, are beyond doubt. Uh, but but that may be about to change now as companies start to take the employee engagement and well-being more seriously. And so we've seen a large uptake in the interested and also um, a very uh, engaging CXO level, aside from obviously the HR and the learning and development that has resided with this, um, where this has resided for um, many years. Um, so definitely we see an uptake and that's also because there's a lot of places where it is a necessity, right? So the whole compliance, GDPR, cyber threat, cyber security, it, it's a lot of people has spent, if they spend 100 pounds on cyber security, 80, 85 of those are spent on technology, but it's like, 80, 90% of all cyber attacks that is actually a human thing. Something Someone has to click a link or download something. So, so working with the human firewall. So there's a lot of different areas where the CXO level now sees a need for continuous learning. So they start now to engage with their uh, L&D and their HR uh, to find ways of doing this. So definitely we see a very... Uh, increased uptake and interest in uh, in this area. Now I'm going to use the dread C word here, dread COVID word. Um, obviously, over the last few months, um, you know, people have been working from their um, high end home kitchen offices and uh, and the like, and so learning as part of the working life has also changed quite significantly since I don't know about the beginning of March, I suppose, um, for us here in Europe. Um, so. That online basis of learning, do you think that that is going to become more prevalent um, or are companies really waiting until they can get their people back into the office and then send them back into the classroom? Well, a couple of things, but yes, definitely uh, um, a very large interest and in, in, uh, a very large um, growth in this area primarily actually driven by the companies because now the every the employees are at home and then they still need to get their training and they uh, can via LMS 365 uh, get their training in the office Microsoft office platform uh, remotely classroom trainings 
not so much, right? We can't do that at all. So every a lot of that is looking into how can we put that online. But it's also like a double-edged sword, right? Because coming back to uh, that we need to have learning to be something that people actually want to do and not something that they have to do. When people work from home during a pandemic, they are sitting in front of their computer many, many hours a day, right? And they have teams meeting and interactions. And so taking out one or two extra hours to also do uh, learning is is not something that they always want to do. Um, but I think that um, post-pandemic, which is hopefully very soon, that all these tools and what they've learned with them will... Um, pick up that interest of wanting to do their training from their uh, home, um, from their work from home stations, because there's no point at uh, commuting to the office and sitting in your cubicle, taking online training, and then uh, commute back again. And the classroom training is obviously thought for by employees uh, to an extent because they get to speak with people real life, which is also something that is important. So it, it needs to be a combination. It cannot be all online learning. It has to be some kind of combination. But definitely for the... Um, efficient learning more is moving into the online training platform and now driven by the CXO level of all major companies. Now, obviously, as well as businesses, uh, schools and education establishments all over the world have been very much affected by uh, varying degrees of lockdown, depending on where you were uh, in the world. And, you know, we've all seen things like classrooms online and lecture theatres being placed online, tutorials being done over Zoom or, you know, pick an alternative. Do you think that uh, the whole picture of online learning is going to be different in the future? Well, it's been around for a while, but I definitely think that it will grow that more uh, flexible way of uh, teaching because there, there is a lot of things that you actually can do uh, online that you can't do in classroom training. So very interesting lectures from Stanford or Howard or other places from the world. You can't make them travel to London and Copenhagen all the time, right? But what you can do is that you can engage with them on an online platform and then you can actually get those lectures into the uh, education area. And it has been done for a while, but it's definitely scaling up. So um, I just recently took a training at Copenhagen Business School and the training was scheduled to be all classroom training and then COVID came and more than half of that training were then, first it was postponed, but then when they realized how long time this was going to take, they were rescheduling and making a lot of the days on Zoom instead. And that actually also made it possible to get people that were normally very busy and traveling and, and you couldn't get them uh, to the to the classroom that they could dial in and do um, a lecture from yeah, basically anywhere in the world, right? And, and, and we also see that it's easier to get information out now because people are more familiar. They do, more, a lot of them now have actually the the 
the Wi-Fi and the broadband and the uh, computer to work from home and uh, that they probably didn't have before the pandemic. So it's more possible than it ever was before. So yes, definitely. I think it will be more flexible. So it's not going to be all classroom or all online, but more um, a combination of that. So hopefully out there now, there are a few employers really wanting to take those those first steps uh, in educating their employees, putting into um, putting into place education programs, what particular steps, uh, in particular those easy wins, the low hanging fruit, if can um, can people take to uh, to empower their employees in terms of education on the job? The companies need to recognise that their employees are constantly looking for information, right? And so they'll most likely go to Google and YouTube looking for answers. And you need to accept that this is a reality, but also spend some time coaching and fixing the internal system you have to make them faster and more useful. So if you have an old cluttered website of poorly arranged information, it's simply costing your company money. And, and building a corporate portal is easier than ever, right? So any search results must be useful. Um, I know it's easily said, that, but it's rarely done, which requires that your content should be well tagged and, and, ma- and maintained, right? Uh, so democratized learning is also something that I feel very strongly about. So not something that comes only out of the HR and the learning and development, right? But it's now actually possible to use technology to harness organic learning in your corporation happening um, and scale that to the benefit of the entire organization. You, For example, if you... You see that an article about negotiating complex commercial contracts was shared between two account managers on one platform that could be algorithmically spotted and tagged and redistributed to a broader sales population. So there's a lot of things you can do as a company that's not just about acquiring a new LMS system, but it's also about the culture of learning in your corporation and and how you can um, actually use uh, information that that you already have, right? You can devote a channel in your corporate communication software to learning and create a dedicated online space for learning and promote it with meaningful contributions contributions from from business leaders so that you actually involve your entire C-suite in learning of the entire organization. Well, as is often the case, unfortunately, we have run out of time. Um, there's so much more still I'd love to talk about because education has obviously been, as I said at the beginning, a, a very much major part of my life and continues to be so. I mean, I'm, I'm desperate to try and further my, um, my own particular uh, techie languages. Uh, I'd love to go through the Rust book. Um, I'd like to get a little bit better at Python if that's possible, but uh, probably more pressing for my employer, at least. Um, I'd better try and learn how to uh, string a sentence together. So, Mete Suskutleep of LMS365, thank you ever so much for joining me today. Thank you, Joe. Have a great day. Bye-bye. And it's also bye from us as well. I hope you can join me next time that we talk tech means business here on this series of podcasts. I look forward to speaking to you soon. Bye now. Bye now.